Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Pittsburgh Current Podcast. I am Pittsburgh Current Editor and Publisher, Charlie Deach. Uh, we've got a uh, good show for you today, and we have our drinks issue is currently on the stands now. Um, you can get that for another few days, and there aren't a whole lot left from what I hear. So if you want to grab that, you can grab that, or all the content, of course, is available at pittsburghcurrent.com. And our new issue comes out Tuesday, April 2nd. Um, we thought about doing an April Fool's issue, but we, we really thought about the ethics of doing it on April 2nd. So we, we took the high road and uh, decided to, to, to wait until the calendar gives us permission, you know, because we're conformist. Um, <laughs> a couple of quick things. Uh, if you're a fan of local music, tonight at 5.30 is the latest installment of the Pittsburgh Current Concert Series. Musical artist Momon Naden takes our stage tonight. And coming up, future uh, future shows, we have Ryan Hoffman and the Pioneers on April 3rd at 6 p.m. And on April 23rd, we have the incomparable Brittany Chantel. So those are great shows, uh, great shows coming up. But our guest today is Olivia Benson. She's a former state Senate candidate in the 37th district, and we'll talk a little more about the 37th district for sure in a moment. And, um, but she made, she made news earlier this year when she withdrew from that race and announced she was eyeing a potential statewide campaign for Auditor General. She's worked on several political campaigns, worked as a congressional staffer, and I personally think she's going to be around Allegheny County elected office and politics for some time to come. Olivia, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for the taking the ethics and the high road, not doing <laughs> April Fool's. So yeah, thank it. you. You know, <laughs> that's one of those things that I think they're going to put on my, you know, it's going to be part of my obituary. I think like he took the high road on April 2nd. I appreciate it. That's the best. It's so. <laughs> a good one to have. So I, I, as I, I, of course, as we talked about before, I, I, you and I met when you first were working on a political campaign. Um, the first campaign, I think for Allegheny County executive, County executive, Richard Fitzgerald. Um, and then, but you've done, you did a lot before then you've done a lot since then. And this year you decided to throw your name in the hat for that 37th district, um, state Senate seat. And for those of you that became vacant when, um, Republican guy Rechtensteller, who, you know, Google him. Uh, uh, he won a congressional seat, and so that seat became open. And Olivia was one of three, I believe, uh, Democrats who um, threw her name in for a party endorsement. Um, and so I think that that's probably a good place to start. Um, so the day of the uh, of the uh, nomination conference, um, Olivia goes up to speak, and she decides to she withdraws her name and that's what, well, let's start there. Let's talk about, um, I mean, I could probably describe the background, but why don't you describe a little bit about the background that led up to your decision that day? Sure. So, um, I was super excited you know, I think the prior May I had really started thinking about getting into the Senate race. Um, and there's a lot of things that you need to do kind of prior to that. You need to get a committee list, mm -hmm. uh, go to committee events, like really kind of network. Um, and I struggled from that point, even kind of getting an up-to-date committee list. Right. Um, so, you know, you go through the debates, you have conversations with folks that are on the committee, you know, the people that like are supposed to be your cheerleaders right. in the district. And, you know, I'd get a lot of feedback, you know, wow, Olivia, like you had great answers in the forums and Olivia really appreciated the perspective you brought into this. But, you know, how are you going to win this district? And I said, well, you know, I'm going to knock doors. Right. Like I realized there's a little bit of a Republican advantage in the past. Um, cycle, but, you know, I really think I can get out there and do the work. And then it became about, well, you know, well, what about like, you know, your background is going to help you overcome these things. It was like, you know, well, I'm from the area, like grew yeah. up in Aliquippa, like, you know, I learned to swim at the Swickley Y. So I've right. been around the area. And then it finally came out, well, you know, how are you as a black woman right. going to be able to get folks to support you? And when you're hearing that from, I think, you know, folks that are 
some folks that are committee members, that's a real challenge because sure. these are the folks that um, are supposed to help you carry the torch and really knock on the door. So I kept kind of getting those comments. I got comments about, well, you know, it just seems like, you know, you're not as organized as the other candidates, that you don't have the infrastructure they have. And, you know, I, I had conversations. I've done enough campaigns to know that, um, you know, I had a great team ready to go behind yeah. me, but I wasn't, um, I guess, necessarily kind of taking them on a walking tour of the district. And folks were a little concerned about that. So when I got up there um, on the day of the nominating uh, convention, I was I was really kind of set on, you know, I really want to do this. But if I get these same questions this morning, like, I'm not doing this. Like, I'll, I have a background so in policy just prior, and work. And yeah. you, 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 so when you went there that, that morning, you didn't plan to withdraw? I, I did not plan um to withdraw if I did not get those kind of same right. um, questions. But I'd always really, I'd say even more so than the um, Senate race, I'd always thought about a statewide office because yeah. I think statewide office, uh, especially the Auditor General, you can do some really cool things yeah. that are really policy driven and not as partisan. So it was something that was definitely, um, you know, in the back of my mind and mm -hmm. I thought about, but I did make my decision that morning. Right. So... I'll I'll tell you what I heard, and and I think that you you that you very clearly I think relayed where you know where a lot of it's going. But they they basically they said that um, that was a big fear, and and again it it's all the kind of double speak before you know well how will you overcome you know your challenges, and then it becomes you know all these. But really, they're asking you know the question. Did you realize initially that they were asking you that question of? Of um, how can you know they they don't they didn't think a black person a black woman could win in this and I, my guess is that they I don't know I don't know if they if they would have if they would have given the same questions to um, an African American male or not um, but I feel that that district is you know I think that 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 was probably their fear which again I I don't think is a I don't think is necessarily a, a, not necessarily it's not a, in my opinion it's not a credible it's not a credible consideration in my opinion. Um, how did you address that when 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 they sort of brought up a little bit the issue the issue of race the issue of your race being a uh, deciding factor on whether or not you should get the nomination or not? You know, I think that you know I've I've been um, a black woman um, my entire <laughs> life, so I I was comfortable with being asked the question. Mm -hmm. Like that's mine. Like you know the demographics of Western Pennsylvania. What sure. I was not comfortable with was how that um, those characteristics would in some sort of way um, make me, you know, less of a candidate and make right. me less attractive to the folks that were going to be voting. And it would give folks some challenges in how they were going to talk to their neighbors and their friends about why they would support mm -hmm. me. So that 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 hurt a little bit. And I, I did actually get some feedback from um, other candidates who are minorities and men of color specifically that told me that they'd experienced similar questions. Mm -hmm. um, so I wasn't the first one, but I was guaranteed, I guess, in that morning and that opportunity to really kind of, um, you know, mention my desire to run for a different office and not this really highlight those issues and mm -hmm. say, you know, for the next Olivia that comes along that, you know, you say is you're concerned about her age, uh, her the color of her skin and her right. gender. Like, you know, I'm 11 months younger, I think, than Connor Lamb. So right. we're not that far apart. I may look young, like, thanks, mom. Um, <laughs> but it, it, that shouldn't be kind of what stops right. you. And if the qualifications for the candidate are there, then like you as like the champions of the party, like, I want you guys to really own this and like go hard for that candidate like you would anyone else that yeah. kind of fits the mold of what you're thinking. Do you feel like that they actually gave your background, your bona fides, do you think they actually gave those a, a fair shake, a fair, a fair hearing, a fair going over? Oh, abs absolutely. I think, you know, a lot of folks were, you know, really impressed with the kind of the work yeah. that I'd done since uh, I'd graduated. 
And though, like, I don't want to kind of really stress it wasn't a blanket of kind of all the community. Sure. It was certain folks, and I was like, right. you know, this is really problematic because you are those same questions you've asked me multiple times. <laughs> um, right. But more importantly, like, um, I think that there would have been some hesitation, and it might have been a harder kind of road to go uphill. Um, and this was a really short campaign, I think. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's 10 weeks. Right. Um, and just, you know, I... The, the other the other the other question I guess I, I that I that I had during that process is I think at that point even though the Republicans hadn't chosen their candidate I think all signs pointed to the fact that they were going to um, <laughs> that uh, that they were going to give their nomination to D Raja who of course you know if working on Rich Fitzgerald's first campaign yes, he ran against Rich for um, for county executive um, I mean you know as as you know someone who you know the Republicans sort of put up someone of someone of color, someone not from this country. Did you think about that at all? That if you're talking about could, you know, could a black woman um, uh, win in that district, you know, it didn't seem necessarily like in the South Hills, they or, or the Republicans in the South Hills worried about whether or not a, uh, a man from India could win in that district. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, you know, that was kind of the like tangential conversation that was happening as well. Like we, pretty much had new like indications that like Raja was going to get right. it. And I think barring some um, really kind of, you know, epic and record um, work from Devlin Robinson or right. another candidate that was in it, like Raja was going to be their nominee. So when I was getting these questions and really, you know, stressing that, you know, my qualifications are going to carry me mm -hmm. guys, I'm going to be fine. Um, that did not seem to be as much of a factor as, um, you know, Raja being in the race as uh, folks were kind of setting it up to be. I think that Democrats genuinely wanted a candidate that could be, you know, whether it was Raja or Devlin Robinson or anyone mm -hmm. else. I just got the feeling and the feedback from a lot of folks that were in the committee that I didn't fit and they were concerned about my background playing out in that. And, you know, what if questions came up from their right. neighbors? Are they more likely to support me? Or if it's not Raja, is it going, would they support, you know, Devlin, who's equally qualified? So it, it like, it was, it, it was a hard read, but I, I went with my gut that day yeah. and I said, you know, I'm going to take um, the concerns about my race and gender and age off the table. And hey, Democrats, like, let's put forward a candidate that can, you know, hopefully get back the seat. Right. And speaking of that, that special election is this Tuesday, April 2nd. Yes, um, vote. If you live in 37, vote. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully April 3rd issue would not be an April Fool's that, that Raja has, uh, <laughs> well, that guy just, I mean, he just won't go away from campaigns. He's tried every sort of, um, Every time something comes up in that district, he uh, that seat in particular, I think now this is the second or third time he's he's run for that seat. Um, well, this seat comes up so often. Yeah. it seems like. So, Do you think yeah. that that's because it, is it is it sort of a springboard to to other offices and 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 if so, why and and or what is it about that seat that comes? Yeah, you know, I think people that uh, there's folks that maybe have had the opportunity to use it as a springboard mm -hmm. to other office. Uh, it's a great seat. I think that you know you have a lot of uh, kind of economic diversity in the mm -hmm. communities. A lot of um, you know, folks that, you know, maybe work in the city that live out in the burbs and they're in the South. So I, I think it's a great seat. I think that, uh, for whatever reason, people just get tapped to run yeah. for office or run for higher office or become, you know, uh, takeover institutions. So I don't know what that says about the seat, but I think that <laughs> the people that have been there, um, have been fortunate to do kind of awesome work. Right. After. So let's talk a little bit about the race coming up on Tuesday. Pam Ivino, of course, is running against, uh, uh, Raja, um, you know the district. I mean, so I, I don't know that I could have anybody more qualified to talk about the district than you right here. So talk a little bit about, if you don't mind, a little bit about um, 
the district and why you think, I assume, you know, I know you're supporting Pam Iovino, how, you know, how, why you think she's maybe the best candidate over Raja in this case? You know, I want to say that, you know, there are so many volunteers out there that have knocked thousands of doors from this race, from Matt Smith's part of his race, uh, Connor Lamb's race. So they know the ins and outs and the intricacies of the district uh, better than me. But I think that, you know, what Pam represents does give Democrats a really strong shot at this seat. Uh, You know, her background, um, her work kind of countywide and nationwide with veterans really does play up. Mm -hmm. I think at the end of the day, um, you know, I could speculate about everything, but it really is going to depend on turnout. And, you know, yard signs don't vote, guys. (laughs) Like, we'd love (laughs) if they did, but they don't vote. But I, I, I think that, you know, Whoever turns out their people, Democrats, Republicans, uh, maybe folks that are on the fence, uh, that's going to be the winner. And whoever can do that, especially over the next, what, four or five days, um, that's, you know, the race isn't over yet. So I think it's anyone's game. Yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a, a fun one to watch. And special elections, as you said, they always carry that little extra. You know, you could have no turnout, or you could have. You know, uh, one party or another usually, pro- obviously, that's what it is. They show up better than than, than the other party, and so it's interesting. Um, I always wonder about the effect and effectiveness of 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 having a special election when you have a primary election that's not too far off, but. Um, I'm sure there's some advantages. Yeah, I mean, I think that would have been great for Democrats, especially if this uh, special was held on a primary day. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the world doesn't work out perfectly. <laughs> right. and, and I think this is a good opportunity to see kind of what uh, what ground games look like for both parties yeah. ahead of 2020 when you're likely going to have, um, you know, a woman or maybe even a woman of color at the top of the ticket right. going up against uh, President Trump. So who's got the better ground game and kind of can build those uh, volunteers? And this is a really good test run for that. This is the Pittsburgh Current Podcast. Uh, Charlie Deach here with Olivia Benson. We're talking about... Politics. We're going to talk more about politics, and we're going to talk a little bit about. Um, uh, uh, well, that well, I'll make it our next question, Olivia. How? Uh, how? So, how did you? When did you gain an interest in becoming involved in politics? Oh, uh, let's see. Did you grew up in Aliquippa. I did. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, was it was it there as growing up as a, being a student there, being you know, growing up there, or was it? Something was it in college or you know my parents from like the time I can remember really didn't involve me in any of their political activity and they weren't necessarily knocking doors but they were going to community meetings about issues yeah. um and you know I remember going into the voting booth and being super hyped to like just see this yeah. process transpire so I, I grew up knowing that you know as someone that's born in this country and raised in this country or that's here in this country, like if you can vote, you should vote and you right. should play a role. So I, I, I vividly have those memories. Um, my dad is actually from Mississippi. So my mm. grandmother talks oh. about, yeah, yeah. Like the, what you see in the civil yeah. rights backdrops, like that's her house. Wow. Um, but like they talk about like just like getting the access and the rights to vote uh, was so difficult for a number of people, specifically people of color in deep South Mississippi, and integrating these places, these high schools, uh, you know, that that was a challenge. So just kind of the work and the blood that's been, um, you know, lost over that really did play a role in mm-hmm. me taking this very seriously. I remember uh, we'd have the mock elections in middle school. Right. Um, I was always super excited to have those. So I've always, I've always really had a passion right. about it. Uh, I think in college when I was, you know, around the George Bush, John Kerry race played a role. And then Obama came along and I happened to be working at a congressional office at the time right. um, for 
Jason Altmaier, which was PAO4. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just enthralled by it. I said, you know, this is great. Like, and more young people can really pay attention yeah. to this. Uh, there's the, there's more opportunity and there's a brighter future for us. I remember those those middle school elections and I, it's weird. So I, contentious. I was, yeah. So contentious. Was, right. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Did you did you vote straight ticket as far as you remember? Like I think of, I'm trying to think back to when I was in school and it's like I remember those and, and kids most times it was kids, you know, sort of talking about, um, you know, who their parents were supporting. And um, and that I think is tough to. When, when you have sort of a family with a strong political dynamic, it's hard sometimes too because um, my family's political dynamic was was far from far from progressive, and so it's an odd thing to sort of you know um, jump out from that. But I assume, obviously, you know, growing up in a in a left leaning progressive household, that obviously shaped your your political um, your political uh, uh, self, I guess. Yeah. Like. But what I think my parents, you know. Um so I, I never thought of them as progressive as much as I thought of them as like pragmatic and Got saying it. like, okay, these, this is the policy around it yeah. and this is why it's good. And if it's, you know, George HW or George W or Bill Clinton or whomever, um, this is why this is a good policy or this is why this is a bad parties, uh, policy. Mm-hmm. And we can't let um, parties specifically uh, decide that they're going to take control of the good or the bad and right. they're going to own that narrative. So it just so happens that a lot of the policies I like are progressive right. and it's on the democratic <laughs> side. Um, but they were, they really did challenge me to think critically at an yeah. early age about why I would support a candidate or why, you know, my middle school election, I'm going to hold the torch for Bill Clinton when everyone right. else is Bob Dole or whatever. Uh, right. to, to really think critically about like, why am I doing this? How is this policy going to impact people? And then what are the outcomes and what's yeah. the long-term kind of play of this? How do you, and, and I, I assume that you've obviously carried that, carried that into today. And it's easy, I think, when you're looking at President Trump, I think we see it very clearly that um, regardless of what he says, his supporters are going to be all over, you know, they, they're, they're never going to deviate. And, um, I think that that seems to be missing a bit because I remember Bill Clinton was the first president I ever voted for. Um, and he was horrible on immigration. He signed one of the most restrictive, uh, immigration laws to, to boot people out of this country. And so, um, that did, I mean, I, didn't then in the second term, I didn't, you know, not vote for him, but you know, that's sort of, um, I think we're missing that, um, in, in politics. So do you, uh, do you, and I know a lot of people, you know, if it comes from one side or another, they just sort of like tune it out. I assume that, that you're out there, you're looking at, you're willing to look at anything to sort of see what's the best policy for the. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, when you think about president Trump and everyone's like, you know, he's, he's gearing up for his next presidential yeah. campaign. And I don't think of, President Trump right now is doing any sort of presidential campaigning. He's just running a very effective marketing campaign. And folks, uh, you know, it's like Black Friday, like folks (laughs) fall for it. Like this TV is no more valuable on, you know, two weeks from now, but because it seems like it's a good deal and I have to have it and it's exactly what I want, I'm going to support that. And he's done a very effective job of running that marketing campaign. Um, I think that, you know, what what I'm always intrigued by is, you know, I want, you know, as a, as a citizen of this country, like I want our president to do well. Mm-hmm. And I want, you know, the party in power, whomever that might be to do well and elevate the status of communities, especially marginalized communities. But when that's not happening and when it seems like there's an all on <laughs> attack and assault about right. the folks that make this uh, 
toward to the folks that you know really do make this country what it is, um, that's problematic, and it's very hard for um, I think Democrats or Republicans especially to find common ground when everything is just so much about the sound bites and the Twitter right. and and the marketing of it. What cha- how do we change that conversation, and what what do we do? If you have, as someone who and we'll talk about. Um, the potential auditor general's race in a second, but how do you, as a, as a as a future candidate, how do you change the, how do you change that? Like, how do you change the narrative of, um, politicians, you know, doing, doing things like that? You know, I, I, when I was running for the 37th, I made it very clear that, you know, I'm, you're going to go to the democratic committee mm-hmm. meetings. You're going to go, um, to like, you know, the rallies, et cetera, but I'm also going to try and sneak into some of the Republican committee sure. meetings because I want to know what they're talking right. about. Like they represent just as much of this constituency as the Democrats. And, you know, I would hope that the policies and the proposals that are put forth and that I was hoping to put forward, like we could take the politics out of it and really just talk about the people there. There's, no one I know, Republican, Democrat, independent, wherever, that wants to see someone that's working 40 hours a week or more living in poverty, right? right? Like that's that's ridiculous. And if they're not working 40 hours a week and if they, they have other issues along with that or they're just working and trying to survive, like they shouldn't be living in poverty in one of the richest countries in the world. Right. You know, how can we make our air a little cleaner, <laughs> our water a little cleaner? Yeah. Like these are not things that are partisan, right. but taking the headlines um, and kind of the kind of narratives that are already there around them and just really getting down to the policies of it, uh, I, I think is what we're going to have to do because, you know, it, pol- politics right now is a really effective marketing campaign, depending right. <laughs> on what side you're on. Um, and we can do better than that, just talking yeah. about the policies and the policy decisions. Why do you think it's so hard to agree on things that should be very easy to agree about, like those things you just mentioned? Little, You know, just let's make the air a little cleaner. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, confirmation bias is one thing. Um, <laughs> we also seem to do a lot of groupthink and really just mm-hmm. kind of being around our own circles um, and really with our friends that are going to agree with us. Uh, but I also don't think that people are talking about it and that way like it's really easy to you know say oh you know are you pro fracking or anti-fracking like what like (laughs) you know i I think any business wants uh like should want essentially to have you know the best and cleanest and brightest air around their facility as possible and communities deserve that as well so if we can agree on clean air and clean water like check all right let's go from there but we never seem to even talk about just kind of those basic dynamics of things And, and i think it's on us uh to really be more thoughtful in the words that we use and also more forceful in taking the headlines out of it and just talking about the policies yeah I think that's part of the problem is, you know, there's more to natural gas drilling than fracking, but it really all gets boiled down to that one sort of soundbite. And that's, you know, there aren't really any deep discussions about, you know, well, any meaningful deep discussions. Again, as you said, it's, 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 you know, it's you probably with folks of a like mind. It's me with folks of a like mind. And, you know, we have those conversations, but it's not, you know, it seems much harder. If For me, it almost seems, and I probably... Badly, I gave up probably um, a few years ago trying to sway anybody on anything. And I think that that, I mean, that apathy obviously mm-hmm. hurts us, but it can get frustrating. So I mean, oh, do you absolutely. still, I mean, how do you, how do you do that? Yeah, you know, I think, so I think there's another angle of it too. It's, it's calling out politicians and specifically folks that um, position themselves as political leaders to mm-hmm. make sure that they're also challenging the status quo. I think, you know, I was watching something, um, getting pieces of it on Facebook. I didn't have time to follow up, but uh, talks about like fracking in the Mon- parts of the Mon Valley yeah. and Braddock just after, you know, less than two months ago where there was an air quality warning where no one right. heard about. And, you know, political leadership um, in some cases very recently with the uh, 
past electeds um, have really stepped up and said, well, wait a second, you're not just going to come in these communities and like <laughs> we're, we're well informed and we have this information. Like we want to talk about like the environmental aspects and how this is going to um, impact the health of our kids, our seniors, our families, et cetera. And I think having that political leadership now is really helping us get down to beyond just, you know, the conversations about fracking. It's like, right. well, what is this actually doing to our community? And is this something we want? So I think effective leadership uh, is really like a nice dose of medicine for yeah. political apathy. And I, I think that that segues in nicely to, um, to talking a little bit about the state auditor general um, race that, that you're, that you're eyeing. Um, because I think that, there are few politicians, I think, that exemplify a bit of what you're talking about, like Eugene D. Pasquale, um, the uh, the current state auditor general. He has been he took an office that, you know, that it's like you know, washing paint dry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he sort of turned it into like your the auditor general is going to come out with something tomorrow. Let's see what it is. It's sort of you know he made it effective. I think effective in a way that people can actually feel the effects of, of what he does. And, and, um, was it, was it Eugene's work that sort of made you realize that that's an office that, that you'd like to pursue? I think, you know, Eugene's work was incredibly inspiring mm -hmm. because I do think that he, you know, took the kind of requirements of that office and really kind of transformed them into, um, you know, a, a political office that can actually present policies mm -hmm. that politicians and the governor's office and um, whomever across the state can actually run with and do some great work for com constituencies and communities. I think it's his, um, his report on gun safety, I yeah. thought was fantastic. Um, and, you know, Republican, Democrat, independent, you know, pro NRA, anti, whatever. Like he talked about really tangible solutions that can be, you know, enacted from everything to your smallest municipality to state government. Yeah. And that's a lot of times what I think constituents and residents in Pennsylvania are looking for is what can we actually do at this moment? Like we can talk about, like we can talk about this, like and be exhausted at the end of the day. But here are some things that you know we can all do in our own little space in our own yep. little sector and make these changes. And a lot of them will not cost additional right. dollars. They might actually save money. Yeah. Um, and I think that that like really kind of taking that perspective and what he's done with that office is just, it's been great. And I think when I was doing the 37th and I was talking about some of my policy mm -hmm. positions that I wanted, um, I realized kind of early on that a lot of these, you know, may not be enacted because of the makeup of the Senate and the House right now. Um, but coming from the Auditor General's office, they could be, you know, potentially worked on at higher levels mm -hmm. of office and put out and enacted and uh, help Pennsylvanians. I think one area too is uh, uh, the push toward um, legal, uh, legalization of recreational use of marijuana. And, you know, there've been folks like Jake Wheatley and Ed Ganey who've been introducing bills and talking about this for a long time. But I think that when, when, um, Eugene sort of did his report and talked about the kind of money that can be made and, 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 you know, cause unfortunately sometimes you just have to break it down to, to cash. And I think that, I think that at least I think that that really, um, has given this, uh, you know, this movement, a huge boost, I think, that sort of made, has made it okay to talk about in the mainstream for a lot of politicians. Absolutely. You know, I think the money uh, is a huge part of right. it. And one of the things that I talked about was, you know, we have, if we have this, you know, 
quarter of a billion dollars that we can expect to come mm-hmm. in annually, then, you know, why not use this to fund CHIP, right? Like right. CHIP is Pennsylvania's baby. It's something that, you know, even with the the drama that's going on uh, with the ACA right now, <laughs> right. like this is something that, you know, we shouldn't hold our children essentially hostage due yeah. to the political whims in Washington. So having that money to maybe fund CHIP or fund, um, you know, some sort of property tax relief or, you know, fill any number of Pennsylvania's woes, I think yeah. is important. And then also... Um, to give credit to um, you know Representative Wheatley and Representative Gainley, like I think they've talked very eloquently and honestly about mm-hmm. you know if we do like you know deregulate this, um, what's the chance for you know decriminalization? Because a lot of this has like directly impacted yeah. communities of color and really snatched a generation of people and put them in jail. And I, I also mentioned too, you know, folks were concerned about the regulation. Like Pennsylvania does regulation on liquor better than anyone. Right. Like that's that's our thing. Like that's what we're embarrassingly known for. <laughs> um, so there's opportunities to, you know, have this pool of money coming in, um, decriminalize it and also make it safe so that uh, a lot of the fears that folks might have can be um, can be removed. Right. Um, what are you... So where where are you in the process of deciding whether or not you'll you'll run? Where are you in the process? Take us if you don't mind. Take us through that process a little bit. Like, what things sort of need to happen? What sort of uh, what are the steps for you to decide whether or not you'll? Sure. So um, I just you know have to go through the state's uh, process of making sure that you know the pack is set up and. you know, things moving forward, kind of, you know, the things you do as a candidate anyway. So build mm-hmm. an email list, kind of identify supporters, think about like your strategic plan um, on how you're going to reach that, right. the millions of voters of Pennsylvania <laughs> right. and also raise money. So I'm gone, I've gone through that process and, um, you know, I'm going to probably be making an official announcement soon. There's yeah. a couple of other elections coming up that <laughs> sure. I want folks to focus <laughs> right. on. Right, right. Um, but that's something that, you know, I've been working on for a while and I do think, uh, you know, we'll you guys will be getting something soon. <laughs> good, good. But so what's the, what's the what is it? What's the personal? What goes behind the personal decision making for you? As far as do I want to go through this process? Um, what has that process been like for you to decide if it's something that you know you think you wanted want to do? You know, because it's yeah. a that's it's a it's uh, you know a it's definitely a hard process, and I think yeah. um, you know you can be as idealistic as you want about the race um, yeah. and, you know, think that, you know, you are the better candidate that's, you know, even thinking about running at this time and that you should just naturally kind of, you know, be like um, ordained into the seat, but that never right. happens in politics and it's not what you want. I, I think that for me, it's really been about um, thinking about what kind of um, like sunk costs are there, you know, will there be friends that you will lose? Will there be, you right. know, job opportunities? How am I going to make sure that, you know, um, I can still uh, live right. <laughs> and function while yeah. I'm running for this race? So you you do think about kind of those things. And then you also think about, well, what if I don't do this? Like what what is the opportunity lost in, you know, maybe at least not getting out there and presenting these ideas mm-hmm. that are good for Pennsylvania, um, in my mind, that are good for Pennsylvania. So yeah. it, uh, it's it's a long process. You have to think about it. You have to yeah. talk to friends, family. Um, after the 37th, my mom was like, are you sure you want to do this again? <laughs> like, are you sure this is something you want? like this? This is Olivia. Like, you don't have to do this. Um, and yeah, it's it's really just kind of having those conversations and being honest. And yeah, like, again, thinking about how am I going to raise the money to do yeah. this? So Because it is, I mean, it's, anymore you almost have to be a full-time candidate when you're running for an office of, of that size. And that's that's a tough decision for a lot of people because it's a, it's, it's going to be a financial burden and has been, I'm sure, for, for, for folks. And so, 
Yeah, that's the, the amount of time and effort yeah. that goes into something like that. And that's I think that's why you see a lot of folks that are either kind of, uh, you know, already politicians that mm -hmm. are kind of guaranteed to get some sort of salary, right. like stepping right. into races, <laughs> or that can kind of self-fund and live off of their, you mm -hmm. know, own wealth to do these things. And that shouldn't be what our political representation yeah. looks like. Like, it has to be just more everyday folks jumping into the race. Who uh, Who inspired you? inspired you when you were younger and who inspires you now politically who who sort of do you look up to when you think of if you're going to get into this game who you sort of want to you know want to be like and maybe who who you know we talked a little bit about you know when you were when you were younger but but who do you who do you sort of look up to politically um, you know, right now, I, I really, it's almost to the point of like obsessed. I think Stacey Abrams is so mm -hmm. fascinating. Um, and the work that she's been doing, you know, not just over the past two years, but her entire life has really just been the definition of public service. Mm -hmm. um, and even, you know, taking wins and losses and, you know, whether there was cheating or not cheating happening in Georgia, like she just kept going. Mm -hmm. So she looked at these opportunities and realized, you know, it's bigger than me um, and, you know, my feelings in this. And I need to run because these are things that are impacting everyday Georgians and Americans. And, and I think that, you know, what she's done is super inspiring. Um, back in the day, you know, I think it, it was really my... Um, my grandmother, mm -hmm. uh, kind of my grandmother's on both sides. So my grandmother who was, you know, lived in Alcoba is my mother's mother. Uh, you know, she was an entrepreneur. She was still very active. Mm -hmm. And, you know, every like election season, like she was out there doing work and making sure that even in her own little circles, like, you know, hey, are you voting? Great. Like, I'll see you at the polls, but I don't <laughs> see you by 630. Like, I'm going to start calling. Um, and then it was my um, father's mother who, you know, really was standing up to a lot of um, systemic race racism and a lot of very overt racism and, mm -hmm. you know, having crosses burned in their front yard and still deciding that, you know, what, I'm, I'm going to push through, like I'm going to work and I'm going to make sure uh, that my community is better off for the work that I'm doing. So, I mean, those are kind of my two, yeah. three figures. How, um, just, uh, I want Obama. Like I feel like, uh, yeah. like <laughs> well, you have to mention Obama. Right. That was <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, you know, I, I can't, I don't, I can't imagine that there's, um, um, well, I want to say anyone, but certainly I can't imagine there's a Democrat um, who um, who would say that Obama didn't inspire them in some way. I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm as cynical as they get, and he made me think that you know what, maybe you know, maybe things can be done in a in a civilized manner, and things can be done, progress can be made, and we can still get the things we want without you know without you know compromising too much of of what you went after in the first place, and so. Um, yeah, so I, I so I, I appreciate you stepping outside of the of the box. I think we all tend to like because I would say I would have Obama, certainly yeah. said Barack Obama. <laughs> so um, talk a little bit about as we as we finish up here with Olivia Benson, a uh, former state senate candidate in the thirty seventh district. That special election is this Tuesday, April second, and a potential candidate. She says she may have an an announcement soon for folks on running for state auditor general um, coming up. Um, you you mentioned um, you mentioned a little bit you're, you mentioned your grandmother you know dealing with um, dealing with racism uh, in politics how 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 have you have have you felt that uh, through your time now uh, working as a congressional aide and on different campaigns and have you and certainly as a black woman you're qual most qualified to speak about you know seeing and feeling this. How prevalent do you think it is today? Let's talk. I mean, mainly in this region, I think, obviously, because that's you know that's where we are. Um, where are we today in, in that sense? You know, I, I think that, you know, 
racism, I think, is a lot of folks maybe have like pictures of it and images sure. of it. Um, doesn't necessarily exist in that same way. Today. Right. I heard a really great quote. Um, you know, I forget who it was, but they basically said, you know, there was Jim Crow in the past, and now there's Jim Crow Esquire. Right. So it's much more. Um, yeah. It's much more uh, pervasive in the way that it's done, and it's not necessarily the folks in um, the white hoods, you know, mm -hmm. making comments and things. But I do think that there are, are opportunities, and I say opportunities lately, for uh, communities, especially communities that maybe don't have a lot of diversity and maybe don't have a lot of, and that's diversity from, you know, skin color yeah. to um uh, sexual identity, et cetera, that don't have them that aren't necessarily faced with these things and mm. they're not sure how to have these conversations. So I, I do think that, you know, we're, we're living in a time, especially in Western Pennsylvania, which in Pittsburgh area, which, uh, is, is not as diverse as other kind of cities <laughs> its size. Right. Um, some folks just, uh, aren't, seeing it every day and and of course right like there's folks that you know you can read the comment section on any oh. <laughs> like especially over the last four yeah. years i'm saying don't you know don't necessarily read it but you can right. read it um and see that there are some really archaic views out there right. around uh race and people of color and that that has to change and that's not going to change for me you know standing up at a nominating convention and saying like wait a second like this is right. not okay that has to come from those folks in those communities um that don't necessarily look like me but that know that this is wrong having those conversations yeah. with their peers and their neighbors and and you brought up an interesting point about and i think that for those that, you know, continually say, you know, I'm not racist or this isn't a racist area. I mean, if you look at the comment section uh, of any of the of the Post-Gazette of the um, of the Trib, um, even even some of the stuff that's shown up on ours, it's um, since the Antoine Rose verdict on Friday. I'm sorry. Uh, scratch that the Michael Rosefeld verdict, um, the, the police officer who shot and killed um, Antoine Rose when he shot him in the back um, as he was fleeing, uh, running away. Um, and I think that's important to say anytime you talk about this case um, <clears throat> is it's just the fact that folks are so blatantly out there. So in my mind, like I, I, you know, I listened, you know, I, I've read about, you know, read about the case. I understand the evidence. I understand, you know, I understand when someone says to me, you know, this, we had to follow the state law. I, I don't, I, I don't agree with that. I think that it came down to credibility of the police officer versus the credibility of what you saw as of the witnesses. Um, so I agree. I don't agree. I understand that the, that the law is very specific, but I feel like there could have been some derivation there on how much, you know, you, how much you give a police officer, how much credence you give a police officer just because he's a police officer but no one on the other side is no one no one who believes that this police officer acted um properly wants to talk about the fact that you know um that he shot this this young man in the back and it's 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 just sort of and not only are they saying it they're saying it in some of the most disgusting ways possible and so um you know, and again, it's, it's, it's not something that, you know, that certainly, um, I can't imagine how, how it affects, um, folks who are out there trying to fight against this and stop this and, you know, try and make sure it's not their child, brother, sister. Um, so I, I can't, I, that's obviously a big indicator of, of how Pes yeah. Western Pennsylvania is. You know, I, I'm, I, and like, there's a billboard in whatever county that yeah. is. Um, and, and I think that's, that's painful, right? That like we, yeah. we've taken, you know, what, we would hope, you know, what, you know, according to the jury foreman was a fair trial. Mm -hmm. Um, and 
regardless of what side folks were on, mm-hmm. like you can have a discussion right. about like, wait a second, like I don't like this verdict because, or mm-hmm. I like this verdict because without bringing in these, you know, painful stereotypes around um, African-Americans and African-Americans in Pittsburgh and African-American males specifically, mm-hmm. especially when you have things going on nationally that really do reflect what's happened locally. And right. the, the verdicts across the board have consistently kind of been the same. Uh, I, I think that, you know, as communities, especially communities of color, really do wake up to this reality where um, justice may not be on your side at any point in time. Right. And there may be, um, you know, this may happen again, that like, it's it's just so hard to actually have faith in the justice system that, you know, essentially wasn't designed um, kind of based on its origins for right. African-Americans right. Um, right. and, you know, descendants of slaves specifically uh, to have a fair shake and a fair shot at anything. And, you know, where you have, where, where my concern is, so when I was at the city of Pittsburgh, I had the opportunity one summer to help uh, coordinate the Cops and Kids program. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, uh, it was Commander Brackney. I believe she's in Charlottesville now. Mm-hmm. Um, she's fantastic and great and really did talk about uh, how communities and specifically police um, and, you know, all neighborhoods in the city of Pittsburgh have this great opportunity to uh, work together and stand up and do great things. But that's not, it can't just stay in the city of Pittsburgh, right? right? Like it has to go to the suburbs. It has to go kind of spread beyond like these borders that we've set up for ourselves um, so that, you know, we can a like have, you know, a system that serves and protects everyone. um, And we can also have, uh, opportunities and, you know, the safety of young black men who, uh, you know, can go through a justice system without having one person that they encounter be judged during an right. executioner. Absolutely. And that's, that's, I think the problem that everyone should have, you know, you can, you can argue about the law later, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's almost seems to, that nobody wanted to have the discussion of whether he could but whether or not he should have fired an Antoine Rose. So, but we're going to be discussing some of those things in the upcoming Pittsburgh issue of the Pittsburgh current. Um, I'll be discussing them anyway, <laughs> um, as you can check those out. Um, so Olivia, thank you very much for being with us. Um, so what are you currently, what are you currently working on? Or what are you currently working with? I know that you have, you have your own company. Yes. I've had my own company for about four years. Um, so I'm actually, I'm doing some cool things. Yeah. Uh, not really ready to talk about them yet. Okay. They're still kind of under hurt. But uh, I'm, I'm really excited about kind of where my future is heading. That's great. Fantastic. We thank you very much for being here. We look forward to uh, seeing where you're headed as well. Um, before we go today, though, I do want to talk about um, really quickly um, a GoFundMe project that has um, – that that we had, we talked to um, someone about last week on our current conversations, one of our new – podcast we and we, are, we do apologize for using the word current so much but it's so damn easy just to slide that in um but this is um the Clareton Pennsylvania greenhouse project uh hashtag Clareton grows um I I I donated to this and I think that everyone else should too it's 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 a really it's a it's a new look at how to how to solve the problem of food deserts in our communities and um these greenhouses um can bring fresh fresh vegetables fresh fruits and vegetables to a community, I think it's it's a really it's a really stellar idea, and I think that everyone needs to um, get behind it. Um, they're almost halfway to their goal of six thousand dollars, and that six thousand dollars is going to go you know just a long way. So I think everybody needs to check out the Clareton Grows. If you go to GoFundMe and you search for um, 
Claritin grows. You should you be able to find that pretty easily. And we also, I believe, have a link 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 a link on our uh, PittsburghCurrent.com uh, if you go to Current Conversations. So this has been the Pittsburgh Current podcast. I'm Charlie Deach. Look for the new issue of the Pittsburgh Current on April 2nd. Um, have a good day and have a good weekend. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.